0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM in the AM. Sina Mizrahi, she's coming out with a brand new cookbook in July, and you can pre order it right now at slash good food. Here's my conversation with Sina Mizrahi on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, there's a brand new cookbook coming up, a brand new cookbook. That art scroll is responsible for. You could pre-order it right now. It'll be available in July. The pre-order address is artscroll.com/goodfood. The book is called Good Food, inspired by my Middle Eastern roots and the places I've called home. Sina Mizrahi, who I am told is quite popular on social media, you can go to at Sina Mizrahi. S i n a m i z r a h i and check out what she has to say uh, on uh, Instagram. And again, the book is called Good Food. You can pre-order it right now, artscroll.com slash food. It'll be available in July. And as we always recommend, when you go to artscroll.com, including for just one book, always use promo code radio. If you use promo code radio, not only do you get a great discount, you get free shipping as well, even on one book. Sina Mizrahi. A pleasure to welcome you to j m and the a m
1: Hello, a pleasure to be here
0: why'd you write the book
1: <laughs> that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> there are so many cookbooks out there. like why would I contribute another one? Um, I wrote it because I really felt like there wasn't a focused book on a lot of middle Eastern party food, and I feel like that's where I come from and I needed a book that represents that.
0: You know, you write.
1: And I wanted to bring that to the world.
0: Your subtitle is inspired by my middle, middle Eastern roots. What countries? What are your Middle Eastern roots?
1: Uh huh. So that's a good question. My father's side is Moroccan. Wow. My mother's side is from Libya.
0: Wow.
2: Um,
1: my husband is um, Moroccan also, and his other side is Turkish and Syrian. So I have a lot of cultures that I. You
0: know, get inspiration. From. Wow, you, you must be one of the busiest people in the kitchen, <laughs> Com- <laughs> combining all those um, traditions. Yes. You know what yes. I found fascinating about you, because again, you look at cookbooks, and I had an opportunity to see a preview of yours, and you look—amazing. Oh, yeah, and you look at cookbooks. Well, people at Art Scroll want to make sure I'm well prepared. <laughs> Kudos to them. Um, uh, you look at cookbooks, and you want to see—you know—what's unique and what what's fascinating uh, in terms of the author and what they've done. I mean. It would seem to me that your yoga, your best method of relaxation is baking bread. Would that be accurate?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think that baking bread is, is really a practice of meditation. Because, uh, it's, first of all, you're taking all these raw ingredients, and there's a process to it, and you have to be involved in it, and you have to focus on it. And it just brings you into the process, and you get something very rewarding at the end.
0: Amazing. Also, I, I, not not I, look, I don't know you, so I don't know if you would normally head in this direction uh, when you're talking about baking bread. But it would seem to me, because of the whole raw material aspect that's sitting in front of you, right? There are a lot of ingredients that go and a lot of steps that go into baking bread. Right. It, it would seem it would give you some type of, of, of spiritual awakening, if you will, uh, that, that that God has provided for us all these little individual things, and you are taking all of them and creating something special and great smelling and great tasting. Is there any, any of that spirituality to that process? Uh,
1: uh, first of all, absolutely. I believe that in cooking and in baking, and this, I guess you see it more in bread because you really just, you see flour transform into something remarkable, like right. you wouldn't even imagine. Right. And, and you're part of like that end process, and it's very rewarding and very spiritual, like you said.
0: Pretty amazing. Sina Mizrahi is with us, everybody. The book is called Good Food. It's not available yet, but guess what? You could pre order it right now, slash good food. slash good food. It will be uh, sent to you uh, in mid July, and obviously always use promo code radio, including for the Good Food book. When you're on artscroll.com, by the way, we should note, and obviously this is not just a book about bread. We'll get to everything else, I hope. Uh, but we should note that you know someone like me, whose only role when it comes to bread is eating bread, uh, was, yeah. was amazed to see how you pointed out that just just your list. I'm sure there are others as well, but just your list of what you've baked and what you are, are encouraging people to bake who pick up the book, pita, laffa, Jerusalem bagel, Moroccan bread, Barbary bread, grilled flatbread, crusty baguette, focaccia, and hamburger buns. All of those can be done without going to the supermarket and buying a package. They literally can be done in someone's kitchen. And uh, and, and by the way, I assume you have others as well, but these, but these are the top nine that made it into the final yeah. list. <laughs> Isn't, yeah. Isn't it amazing how many varieties of bread there are? Talk about spirituality. Yes,
1: it's just the it's just the beginning.
0: Pretty incredible. I
1: wanted people to have that. I think that bread baking is something like I said, very rewarding and right. not something you see in most cookbooks and people should undertake it in their kitchen. They'll be amazed at that it's so simple. Um and you get Really, really, really something
0: delicious at the end. Uh, Obviously, being a cookbook, you address, you know, cooking chicken and meat and fish. And obviously, uh, there are things we can highlight in those sections. But I want to concentrate on what I I thought was unique uh, for your cookbook. Um, I I would assume that most people, especially us Ashkenazim, when we we hear about someone from your background um, uh, cooking, uh, we would assume that there's a lot of salatim, a lot of dips, a lot of things that belong, you know, at the early part of the meal that you encourage people to make. And by the way, that might be your your largest section of the book, frankly.
1: But, it is the largest section. It's my favorite section, but, and it's the section I most believe in.
0: But you um, you call that section flavor bombs and salatim. Yeah. What on earth is a flavor bomb?
1: A flavor bomb is like a condiment or a salad or something that just adds, like, an explosion of flavor to whatever you're making. So you could be making, like, a grilled chicken with salt and pepper, and then you add a little bit of harissa. It just transforms your meal w- w- in, in an incredible way. So I really wanted people to understand, like, you make a few condiments, you put them in your fridge, and they're just there for you for every dinner, whether it's super simple or you know what? Sometimes dinners don't come out delicious and you need some like something to back up. So like <laughs> bring in that flavor and and you have it there. It stays for it stays great in the fridge for a long time. In case of emergency um, flavor. In,
0: in case of emergency, bring out the salatim. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> I like that. Okay. Without without insulting my Ashkenazic friends, what is different about your hummus? In other words, with your background your hummus would include what or would, you know, have what type of texture, flavor? Like, what would you say would be unique about yours?
1: Okay, so if if someone's used to store-bought hummus, like, already it's a step up. That's number one. Number two, my hummus recipe is a little bit more involved, um, but that's because you get the creamiest, creamiest, softest, like, I can't even tell you how, like, it's just, it's like butter.
2: <laughs> oh, God.
1: And it comes, no, and it's it's very much Israeli style. There's different styles of hummus throughout the whole, like, Middle East. Um, this, I would say, is more Israeli style because there's a, a lot of tkina in it, which makes it very, like, smooth. Um and it's just it's it, it's like a puff of air. All right, so you're, you're forcing. I think me, that it's worth the process. You're
0: forcing. Yeah. You're forcing me now to check if I have a preview of page seventy-two because if I do, <laughs> I gotta I, I gotta see. I'll what send this, it to you. I gotta see what this hummus is all about. My gosh, I'll tell you, and it has it has a lot of things in it. It's got the garlic, the onion, the baking soda, the sea salt, tchina. I mean, it's got some zaatar. It's got a lot of stuff in there. The hummus.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, toppings are like half the recipe. Like you need the toppings to bring out like all of that amazing flavor. And there's also two other, um, like, more traditional toppings. There's a meat topping uh, version, and then there's, like, um, a fava bean version, which is, like, kind of like an Egyptian dish.
0: You know, most of your colleagues would be satisfied with one eggplant recipe. You have a baba ganoush, you have a mazal's eggplant salad, and you have a cilantro eggplant salad and a fried eggplant salad or roasted paprika eggplant rounds i mean you know i i understand your appreciation for eggplant but five recipes in the in the dip section my gosh
3: no there's
1: six actually <laughs> you forgot the zaluk
0: there you go <laughs> so six uh, um, six eggplant recipes
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah you know how many things the eggplant eggplant is just an underrated vegetable there's so many things you could do with it and salatim is one of the its best iterations so i had to put it in and I actually, want I had to stop myself. There are so many more I could put in. But. Wait,
0: which of the six is the best? Seriously. If someone asks you, which of the six should I try first and try making first, what would you say?
1: So, look, Baba Ganoush is like a classic. Everyone loves it. Right. Um, I would say the second best is the Daluk, which is like, it brings in like, kind of like a tangy, spicy um, version, which I am obsessed with. Um, but there's the cilantro one, which is actually my father-in-law's like concoction, and it's it's incredible. Everyone loved it. It became very popular.
0: Where did you say your father-in-law was from again? Which uh, town? Which uh, which country? My
1: father-in-law is Turkish.
0: Turkey from Urfa,
1: Turkish Syrian.
0: Yeah. Unbelievable. No wonder you have such a variety of stuff. No wonder you could write a unique yeah. cook cookbook. Because, by the way, am I right that I read in your cookbook that you never cooked before you were married?
1: Absolutely. I actually, I had to call a friend of mine to ask her how to make pasta before ah! I got married. <laughs>
0: You're like me. You're like me. What are the instructions <laughs> for pasta? I like that. What do, you, what, do you do, what do you do with a sunny side up egg? You had to consult somebody on that as well?
1: <laughs> <laughs> actually, I, actually, I figured that one, that one up uh, pretty um, easily. My husband cooked more than me when I got married. It was crazy. Wow. Um, but it just shows you that it's a skill that everyone can acquire. It's a takes time and practice. And and,
0: and in all seriousness, if you follow step by step with people like you who, you know, who've prepared all the recipes on paper and and everyone will have the book next month, you really can. Everyone uh, can certainly prepare all of these. That's one lesson I've learned uh, while watching a great cook for the last 31 years in my own kitchen. Uh, Shout out to Stacey Siegel. Sina Mizrahi is with us on Instagram at Sina Mizrahi. The book is called Good Food. The book is available next month. Right now, you can pre-order it. Artscroll.com slash goodfood artscroll.com dot com slash good food. Always use promo code radio at artscroll.com. dot com. When you do, you get a major discount and free shipping, no matter how few books you might be buying. Right now, pre-order it. artscroll.com dot com slash good food. All right, like I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on chicken, meat, fish, et cetera. Because there's other things I want to get to. That's really unique about yours. But I got to ask you, what is this almost Israeli shawarma? What does that mean, almost yes. Israeli? <laughs> Look.
1: A real Israeli shawarma is, I told you, it has to be rotating on its spit for the whole day. You have to have an Israeli cutting it for you. You have to eat it in Israel. That's an Israeli shawarma. If you're making it at home, this is the closest version you will get. Too an Israeli shawarma, so that's why I called it almost Israeli.
0: I like that for those of you who, for those of you who are phonies who think you can actually eat Israeli shawarma on this side of the world. Sorry, can't, no, can't yeah. be done. No. The, the closest you'll get is almost Israeli shawarma. Yes. You have an amazing sweet section. I mean, look. Um, one of the things when I visit people who are you know from backgrounds like yours, and I'm not used to it, obviously, I'm, I'm more of the European variety and Russian variety. Uh, but once we're out of the Ashkenazi community and visiting friends in the Sephardic community, we're treated to desserts we frankly never had before. You, you got to give me a, you have a whole list here. You got to give me a couple that are really unique to your background. What would you say would be classic when it comes uh, to to your communities and their desserts?
1: Wow. So I have a, like a Moroccan dessert section. Um I did like the you know, the dry cookies I usually serve at the end of the meal with the uh, mint tea. Mm. Um there's the refat cookies which like have anise seeds in them and they're incredibly delicious. They're one of my favorite things in the book, I think. Um and there's there's almond cookies and there's then there's like the more, you know, canafe, which is like a more dairy dessert which is I mean, it's like a breakfast food, but it's really a dessert, and it's it's incredible. Like that's something that's very unique. You make it home, you put the orange blossom syrup over it, and it it really takes you to a different space, a different place. You you just enjoy all these Middle Eastern flavors um, right at home, and it's delicious. Uh,
0: the skillet brownie is that literally from your tradition? Like are uh, those regular brownies? No,
1: I did add. No, I had I had I wanted to have like more or less like a variation right. so there's things that I make that are not you know Middle Eastern um, specifically and you know, things we enjoy as a family like those, there's blondies, there's brownies there's the best chocolate chip cookies ever um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you have to have some of that during the week
0: yeah, I'm just laughing because you know how many authors have said on this show best chocolate chip cookies ever <laughs> but I, I have a feeling you might be accurate though <laughs> uh uh-huh. <laughs> You know, you only know once you try it. Yeah, that's true. And of course you have baklava and a whole oh a limo nana. Yeah. I mean you know you know, people can really ruin a limo nana. You gotta you gotta know how to make that, right? You gotta make you gotta make that right.
1: You have to make it right. I mean, it took me a long time to realize to like figure out how to make it without having that like rotating slush machine. Right. Um, and to make one that's very delicious at home and I I nailed it. I have to tell you my kids look forward to it. Um, it's just so refreshing, and it's, we feel like we're back in Israel. Amazing. We lived in Israel for a few years, and that's what makes us, that brings us back right there.
0: And finally, Sina Mizrahi, you actually, and I guess these days, people are, I know from my own kids, they're so into spices, blends, and herbs, even us Ashkenazim, uh, you went ahead and you created your own section of different combinations for seasonings and spices and blends, et cetera. I mean, I'm assuming the Agripas blend is a shout out to our friends in Nakhlaot. Am I right about that? Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> Yes. Yeah, in, in the Shook especially, yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. And what's what's in that, by the way? What's in the Agripas blend, for example?
1: Um, I did some dried herbs. I did some Aleppo pepper. Like I did, um, I wanted to have like flavors that like were inspired from like, my time when I was like going and chopping up the shook and like having kind of like that intensity of life in Israel into a blend. Cool. Um, it just brings in all of those like Israeli flavors, um, and it's just very versatile.
0: Very cool. I'll tell you a lot of great stuff there. If you're looking for shawarma spice, meatball seasoning. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff I can't pronounce. It's all there in that section. Spi- <laughs> spices, blends, and herbs. Just part of the brand new book by Sina Mizrahi. You can follow her on Instagram at Sina Mizrahi, S-I-N-A-M-I-Z-R-A-H-I on Instagram. Also, our friends at Arts Girl have done something really cool. In addition to arranging for a, uh, a pre-order, uh, they've created a um, an actual link ArtScroll.com slash good food. So it's really, really easy to get to. ArtScroll.com slash good food. Go there now, pre order the book. Uh, you'll have it in July when it's officially released, and um, and you'll have Sina Mizrahi's expertise right there in front of you as you cook in your kitchen. It, it looks to me like it's expected out literally right after Tisha Would that be accurate, Sina? Yes,
1: absolutely. The day after.
0: How's the pre order going? Are people excited about this?
1: Oh yes, I'm getting such incredible feedback and messages. Like it's so heartwarming because people are so into the flavors that are in this book. So yeah, it's very
0: and, and and there's uniqueness here. You know, we we do interviews about a lot of cookbooks. I mean, not only do you have unique recipes, you have sections here that we haven't seen, as I pointed out. Uh, between the voluminous salad section, the spices, blends, and herbs, and so many others that uh, uh, people will find fascinating and no doubt add to their repertoire. <laughs> what I want to I wish, yeah. wish you a mazal tov, or maybe I should say mabruk, right? Would that be appropriate? <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll say mabruk
0: <laughs> yeah. to you on the brand-new release. I know we have to be patient because it's still five weeks away, but right now people can pre-order it by going to artscroll.com slash goodfood. And thank you so much for joining us this morning.
1: Thank
0: you. Thank you for having me. Sina Mizrahi. The book is Good Food. Yeah, I should have asked her about that, Taka. Pretty funny name for a book, right? Good Food. You want Good Food? Here it is. Like, like can't be more simpler than that. <laughs> I assume that's the explanation for Good Food. Uh, Artscroll.com slash Good Food. Artscroll.com slash Good Food. Use promo code radio. Pre-order it. You'll have it in your hands uh, mid-July. And... uh yeah, you'll be able to start yeah, you'll be able to start freezing stuff for Yontif. Remember, it's a really early Rosh Hashanah, folks. So you get the book from Sina Mizrahi right after Tishabov, and everybody who loves cooking can start getting ready for the uh for the high holidays. That was my conversation with Sina Mizrahi. Dove Lippman's up next. He joined us recently to discuss the brand new Israeli coalition. He's a, a former member of Knesset and former member of the Yesh Atid Party. My conversation with Dove Lippman on JM Rewind here at the Nachum Segal Network. Erev Shabbos Parshish Korach. A guten Chodesh. It's Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. Second day of Rosh Chodesh and the first day of the month of Tammuz. Well, when we asked Dove Lippman to come on to speak about travel, to speak about uh, the diaspora, and to speak about the coalition, uh, it only struck us afterwards that he really could talk about this coalition. After all, when he served in Knesset, he was with the Tid party. Many of you may recall, former member of Knesset, now an outspoken advocate for Olim and their families, and frankly, many other important causes in Israel, Dove Lippman is with us live via telephone. Dove Lippman, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. It's great to be with you. Appreciate that very much. Let's start with this, Uh, and, and I don't even know if it's fair to ask you, because I don't know if anybody knows. We've heard this rumor, it came out of Israel yesterday, from a government official that there will be, let's call it for a moment, free travel. Obviously, you know, proof of vaccination, likely some type of testing will be required, but that's nothing compared to what you need now to get from the U.S. to Israel. And that all this would be happening starting on July the 1st. Can you either confirm or deny this very exciting rumor?
3: So, uh, I don't want to be a downer. (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to hurt people's excitement. Uh, there was an announcement by the Minister of Tourism that they are meeting their goal, which was that by July 1st, they should be able to open the borders for those who are vaccinated. However, not so long afterwards, the health ministry said we have not been part of that decision whatsoever, not so fast. So that's first of all. So we have to take a few steps backwards and see exactly what that means. Uh, I do believe, just from my involvement in the process, that there will be some significant advancement. But everyone has to understand that we don't exactly know what that means, because there's been a lot of concern about what is proof of vaccination. People could just make up their own proofs, and therefore Israel has to verify. So whatever it's going to be, it will be progress. But no one should assume at the moment that this means that July 1st, anyone who's vaccinated can hop on a plane, no issues whatsoever. We're going to have to see how it plays out over the next few days. And remember, we have a new health minister coming in on Sunday. We have a new interior minister coming in, transportation minister. Uh, There's a lot of factors involved here. It'll take a few days to sort through it.
0: Even with the transition, and you just used the expression days, in all seriousness, a week from today, should we know a lot more? I do
3: know that it's going to be at the top of the agenda for a lot of the new ministers. I know that myself, uh, I've already made contact with ministers and their staff, and they all said we have to get into office, give us a few days. But it is at the top of their agenda. They do realize that there is a very significant crisis that's going on. When I describe to them what I'm experiencing on a daily basis, the people who are helping me, where it's literally – day, night, late into the night, early morning, people suffering, stress, sadness, the chaos, uh, waiting to hear back from consulates, interior ministries, people waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go wait online. It's chaos. And no one wants anyone to be experiencing this kind of chaos, certainly not new ministers who are coming, and they will have to study the situation, but we do plan on presenting it to them, and we do feel that that will also be an impetus towards improved rules and processes.
0: I I really shouldn't spend much time on this next question, but I'm just so curious you can give us a 30 second answer uh i want to be fair to the listeners regarding the news of the day but you're an american kid i'm curious about your batting average in the last 15 months i can only imagine how many people contacted you about getting to israel many of them for really really important reasons i'm not at all minimizing that what what's your batting average do you think do you think you were able to help and get into israel a significant number of those who were trying
3: the good news is that a 300 hitter is considered to be a good hitter, right? <laughs> so, <Yep. laughs> uh... So if I look at it that way, if I look at it that way, I, you know, it could be an all-star team possibility you we know, hit in 300, to some runs here and there. Um, it's, it's, a very hard, it's a very hard process. Um, there's no doubt that on a daily basis there are people who we do get in. We do get in touch with consulates. We do get in touch with the Interior Ministry. People who are waiting down to the hour. I have to leave to the airport now. Can I get my approval? And on a daily basis there are numbers that we do get succeeded in getting in and getting them their, their approval. But uh, the, hard, the hard part of this is there's a large number that we are not able to succeed in helping, and the consulates are a few weeks behind they're completely overwhelmed, uh, understaffed. I mean, they're working their hearts out. The Interior Ministry, is that they're collapsing uh, the, the branches because of the big number of emails and requests that they've been getting, and, and that's why I say, yes, there have been successes. And I also say we've also succeeded on a broader level in terms of getting policies changed, and right. I'm not going to sit here and take credit myself for that. Uh, there have been many people involved, myself, Michal Kalman, one of the Rikneset, people at Nefesh There's definitely been a lot of people lobbying and working for change, and we've definitely succeeded uh, along the way, but now we're waiting for this big breakthrough, because the bottom line is, uh, thank God Israel is doing so well uh, with the vaccinations, and if they are proving to be so successful, there's really no reason why we can't put in clear mechanisms, clear testing, and get people in here who are vaccinated. But I do have to point out, this is important. There are a lot of questions today about this. Even if they say that people who are vaccinated come in, that does not mean that their children who are unvaccinated can come in. Right. And it means that even if their children below the age of six are allowed to come in, they may still have to do two weeks of quarantine. So right. everyone really has to take a step backwards and pause and really analyze exactly what the new rules and policies will be.
0: All right, honestly, I'm, I'm hoping that a week from today we know a lot more. Dove Lipman is with us from Israel, former member of Knesset um the uh you know it's funny we 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 are watching carefully and i'm sure on your side of the world you're watching it even more carefully this coalition develop uh many of us predicting not really a bold prediction frankly because the the likelihood is i still think that this whole thing will fall apart but who knows it's very possible the way it's going it will not fall apart because they're ready to go to a vote it looks like sometime on sunday or monday now you because of your political experience in israel really can speak about this coalition. You were a member of the Aisha Tid party at one point, and they obviously are one of the linchpins to this entire agreement. Do you think, number one, that this coalition is going to be formed next week? And number two, do you think it has some lasting potential?
3: So the coalition, as far as I can tell and everyone I've spoken to, will be formed uh, sometime late Sunday. Uh, it'll be presented to the Knesset. They'll first vote is going to be replacing the Speaker of the Knesset with Mickey Levy from the Shatid, who is actually an incredible person and a great friend, and I'm really excited and happy for him, and I think he'll do a great job. But in terms of your question, you cannot underestimate, and most people do not understand this, the relationship between Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett. That relationship began before the elections in 2013, and there's a thrust and is an ability to sit together and work through issues that is not always the norm in Israeli politics. Right. And that, is, that, from my perspective, is what gives this coalition uh, a possibility uh, of lasting longer than many would think. Now, uh, obviously, when you have a far-reaching coalition from Yamina and New Hope, which outflanks Likud on the right, to Meretz and, and Labor on the left, uh it's very complicated and they're going to have to make sure that everyone keeps their strong uh, ideologies to themselves and tries to govern you know in a broad socioeconomic uh structure and and, and platform and that's what they're going to try to do. Yeah, And don't forget um, don't forget about the to...
0: don't forget about the Arab party. I mean you didn't even mention them.
3: But... Yes, no. Correct. Now, the Arab Party, I think a lot of people are misunderstanding exactly what's happening there. The Arab uh, Party has lost a third of their seats in these past elections because the Israeli Arab, Arab population is sick and tired of their uh, elected officials only talking about the Palestinian issue, being anti-Israel nationalistic on that front, and they want help. They need help in education and welfare and health, in crime fighting and all these kinds of other issues. And Mansour Abbas from the Ram Party has basically said, I'll put aside all the other uh, aspects. And let's focus on that, which is a smart political move for him. If he keeps to that, if he keeps to that, and is able to keep his members of Knesset in check, then they have the potential of being these coalition partners who get what they need and allow the 61 to continue. I'm not saying it's going to happen and if god forbid we have a security situation they're going to be in a real difficult spot because then what do they do right. and that also could lead to the entire thing collapsing
0: dove lipman is with us from israel you know and and, and i'm sure you are i mean look i don't have to I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to preach to you about being out there and being associated with your lapid it's something you've been doing for a decade in one way shape or form i know you actually left the party in in, in 2018 officially etc i i get all that but you know i i'm sure you have suffered uh, for being somebody who's willing to, you know, sit down with him and uh, and and you know try to uh, progress and 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 you know do positive things, uh, Naftali Bennett is obviously the target, especially from the Haredi community of uh, of tremendous hatred right now because of what he's agreeing to do. Lapid, it seems, has never had a good reputation in many different parts of Israel, whether it be from the political right wing or the religious right wing. Uh i I can't imagine that there's an English speaker, certainly someone like yourself who knows Yair Lapid better than you do. What can you tell us about the real Yair Lapid as opposed to what we see in the media and what his haters are always saying? Uh
3: I, I can say having spent hours talking with him both on politics and ideology, even talking about Torah, hosting him for a perm suit in our home. Uh Is a different person that's portrayed in the media. Uh, Again, you can disagree with his ideology to pull up politics, but as a person, uh, caring uh, cares deeply about Israel. Uh, just think for a moment: has there been anyone, any, anyone who has ever given up the premiership uh, when they have far more right. seats than the other person, just right. for the sake of a new government? Right. Uh, good, decent, upstanding, uh, and uh, you know, secular in his background, uh, believing in God. By the way, he, he talked about you know, his father was not. His father was a Holocaust survivor who suffered terribly in the but The Yair does. Um, you know, he been culturally very Jewish in terms of various practices and I think uh, uh, far more center than uh, right. people paint him as, and far more sensitive to the religious side than people
0: assume. Dove Lipman, is it possible, is it possible, and again, I know that I will regret this when I walk into shul tomorrow morning, no matter what shul I go to, <laughs> is it possible that Yair Lapid and, and, and whatever anti-Haredi rhetoric he espouses is it possible that he is concerned about the political and practical future of Israel, and he's not necessarily a hater of or anti-Haredi people or Haredi life?
3: You know what? Forget that, that I'm standing on the phone. If Moshe Gaffney, Okay, was on the phone with you right now, the head of Torah, and was being honest the way he talks in closed doors, he would say uh, it's not a place of hatred, it's not anti-religion, it's trying to find a way to make things work in Israel, right. which includes an agenda that has Haridim who are not sincerely studying Torah day and night as their only pursuit, finding a way to balance Torah study with serving the country and working. That's what he would say.
0: Do you think I can walk into shul tomorrow morning?
3: <laughs> if I manage to do so and people greet me with a smile, you'll be okay
0: By the way, that's not even a joke That, that you've been able to navigate all this for a decade is frankly remarkable um, Okay, Dove Lipman, uh, you know what's happening here Again, on this side of the world, we see it a bit closer You're 6,000 miles away, but it is scary We're in a challenging time Where government officials who normally support Israel and the Jewish people Are not speaking out against the uh, anti-Semitism that's happening now in this country and random acts of anti-Semitism, aside from government officials who are saying anti-Semitic and anti-Israel uh, things. Uh, they're being very quiet. That's on the government level. Uh, in terms of Jewish leadership, frankly, many of us are disappointed that there isn't more of a strong reaction to what's going on in this country than, uh, than is going on. And I'll, and I'll tell you, and I think you'll get this. I'm not, today I'm not worried about Auschwitz. I'm, I'm not, I'm not thinking that, you know, right now the U.S. is becoming a concentration camp. But I am concerned about Paris. I'm concerned that we're going to end up in a, in a place if we don't speak up and we don't take action where, you know, you need military guards from the local, you know, National Guard, uh, to stand in front of schools and schools and protect Jews day and night, as you, I'm sure you've seen in Paris and other European cities. Yesterday, um, uh, Fleur Hassan uh, Nahum was with us, who I'm sure you know, and she was speaking about an actual solidarity mission from Israel to America. (laughs) Like in the old days, it used to be in the reverse, but she was speaking about them coming a couple of weeks from now just to, you know, to to pick up the ball and make some statements about what's going on here in this country and how people in Israel are standing with American jury and diaspora jury. I need to know your impressions of this whole situation. You grew up in this country. I'm sure you have certain very positive memories about being in this country. What do you? How do you feel? We should be responding to all this in 2021.
3: The first word that comes to mind, just in terms of what I see happening on my screens here, is heartbreak. Uh, having grown up in America, very openly Orthodox Jew, never experienced a moment of anti-Semitism in my life playing in basketball, leagues for the kippah, and making accommodations for Shabbat. Never, never experienced anything like this, and it's heartbreaking, it's scary, and there is a feeling in Israel of we need to do something for our brothers and sisters around the world, and I've certainly been in touch with Flora about the possibility of this mission, and we'll see exactly what's involved in it. Uh, the one thing that I've learned, though, in, in traveling to parliaments around the world and college campuses, and even in some cases being shout, shout at and not being allowed to speak for a few minutes, is that I, I there's no solution to anti-Semitism, meaning I do agree we have to speak out, we have to be vocal, we have to point out the connection that anti-Semitism is racism just like any other hatred towards any specific group and, and try to make that connection. Uh, but ultimately when it's all said and done, we speak out, we do what we can, there has to be protection and everything else. I don't believe having sat in meetings, having been in, 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 in parliaments in South Africa and other places in Europe where you just see amongst parliament members the, the anti-Semitism, there's no solution to it. It's just something that we have to speak out against, the thinking about, protect our kids, and let everybody be proud Jews in the face of it. Uh, But I don't see a way to solve it, per se. And that's something which is very hard and very difficult. But sitting with intelligent people, and by the way, I've made the connection, as many have, between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, because you sit with people and share facts, figures, realities, and they still side with Hamas, and they still see Israel as monsters. There's no other way to explain it other than anti-Semitism. And all we can do, yes, we cannot be quiet. We have to speak out. We have to be loud. We have to be proud of Jews. The response has to be to be proud Jews and not shy away. And I'm concerned for those kids on college campuses who are right. the ones that I'm in contact with who do feel like crawling into a cave and running away from their Judaism. And that's what we really have to try to fight against and bolster them. Not fight the anti-Semitism, but really more bolster the Jewish pride.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. The college campus is going to be a really, really big challenge, especially coming up in the fall. And uh, in addition to that, I think people who work in workplaces and, in, and even in government Establishments uh, That, uh, you know, insist on releasing, you know, anti-Israel statements or, you know, insist that their employees sign on to anti-Israel um, um, proclamations, whatever the case may be. I mean, the pressure that's put on those people is immense and we need to support them. It, it must be frightening to you. It has to be sad and frightening to you, though, on my first point, that government officials who, and you know what Congress is like here, you know, the support that Israel and the Jewish community of the United States gets from Congress It must be sad and frightening to you that the typical members of the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate are just staying silent on this issue.
3: I would have definitely expected uh, louder voices, that's for sure. And I think that behind the scenes, there's certainly lobbying going on for that. Um, you know, you certainly want to see people speak out. Again, I have seen elements that have spoken out, but you certainly want to see it, you know, unanimous and across the board and very, very loud and very, very clear. Uh, I will tell you, I remember when I was in South Africa, and this is what concerns me the most. Uh, when I met with members of parliament who seem to side with the Jews and Israel, but they told me, I can't say anything because my constituents are largely Muslim. Right. And I always wondered myself, does that mean that there's some kind of a changing tide on the ground in a lot of these congressional districts where congressmen who might want to support Israel or Jewish people could, are, are cautious with their words and how they say it and what volume, because they're looking towards their re-election every two years, which means that there's a change happening on the ground in the United States uh, on, a, on a deeper level than we even can imagine.
0: Yeah, Look, there's a there's a well-known United States senator who took on President Obama when he said certain things about Israel, who's always been out there when um, uh, when the Iran deal situation came up, took the right side on that, took the right side in the 2014 war in gaza and on this issue and in this period of time between the most recent uh war and and the anti-semitism issue has been completely silent and i have a feeling that you're 100 percent right that someone like that senator is simply worried about re-election and protecting uh protecting his own powerful future let's put it that way very, Absolutely. Very sad. What can I tell you? Uh, Dove Lipman, first of all, you you alluded to me uh, off the air that you might have a major announcement in the next couple of weeks. If you do, certainly feel free to join us again here at JMDM. And I certainly thank you for your time. And I hope we'll be able to reunite very soon in Israel because, frankly, after yesterday's announcement, I started the process of making a July reservation to get to the Holy Land. And like I said to you earlier, I hope a week from now I'm not disappointed.
3: I do hope so, and I'll definitely check back in with you with updates about that, and also uh, with the uh, new organization, which is going to play a role in this whole story as well.
0: Much appreciated, and Shabbat Shalom to you. Thank you, Shabbat Shalom. Dove Lipman, former member of Knesset, worked with Yair Lapid. Look up his biography, folks, you'll see it. I don't think there's any Orthodox Jew who worked with Yair Lapid as closely as uh, Dove Lipman did. And um, there he is on an of Shabbat here Friday morning at JMN. <laughs> That was my conversation with Dove Lippman. Flora Hassan Nahum, city council member in Jerusalem, member of the Likud party. She joined us recently to discuss tourism and a whole host of issues going on in Israel. My conversation with Flora Hassan Nahum here at JM Rewind at the Nahum Segal Network. Thursday morning, Rosh Chodesh morning at JM in the AM. Many of you may recall that um, when we did our Dubai trip, now it's half a year ago, which is hard to believe that it's been half a year since we were in Dubai, you may recall that we met in person, live and in person, floor Hassan Nahum, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, who has been so instrumental in what I guess we can call the Jerusalem-Dubai corridor, as I like to put it, and... Um, Her name is being floated for the uh, next head of the Jewish agency. I'd love to get her opinion about what's happening with this new coalition. And also, maybe we'll ask her uh, when people like me will finally be able to travel to Israel again. Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, Flor Hassan Nahum, welcome back to JM in the AM.
2: to be with you now, home. Different circumstances, different places,
0: but we're back. Uh, yes, and, and frankly, as I said to you off the air, the next time we speak, better be in the heart of Jerusalem. Are you getting any indication about when regular people like myself might be able to travel freely to Tel Aviv? Um. And.
2: I, look, I'm I'm in charge of tourism in the city of Jerusalem, as you know, and um, I was hoping this summer. I think it's going to be more like the hagim, and I think that what we are looking out for now. Is a um, an agreement to be signed between Israel and the U.S. in terms of vaccine recognition. Uh. Once we've got that in place, it'll be much easier. At the moment, groups can come. So, Nahum, if you can get yourself on a group, we can get you in. Oh. If you can get yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe we can ask uh, Isha Tara to help us
0: <laughs> I knew you'd sneak up my burger into this somehow. Uh, look, the bottom line is we're, we're familiar with the current regulations. The reason I'm pressing you on this is because even as as recently as yesterday, we keep hearing, you know, not to be shocked if Israel completely reopens to vaccinated people uh, or, again, you know, with a simple procedure, you know, PCR test, and you could just come in instead of all the paperwork that has to be done now. By July 1st... Now, you're saying the Chagim. Do you think there's still a chance that for the summer, with limited regulations, we will be able to fly?
2: I really... I really... I, I mean, I'm speaking to the tourism ministry a lot on this. Right. I wish... could be as positive and optimistic to think July 1st. I don't see them being ready for this, but maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. So let's have low expectations, and let's hopefully be pleasantly surprised, but we can't wait to have all our brothers and sisters back. Honestly, we really can't. Jerusalem needs it. Uh, emotionally, financially, any way you can think of, uh, and, and we can't wait to have everybody
0: back. Look, the bottom line is we've been surprised with the, the way some states have accelerated things here. We're a little bit surprised with the way some European countries are now allowing people in again with proper tests, etc. So maybe, 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 who knows? Flor Hassan Nahum is with us, Deputy Mayor of Yushalayim. Uh, is with us live via telephone. All right, um, I predicted, not not that I'm looking for any credit here, it wasn't such a big prediction, I think it was easy to predict this, uh, that certain issues would hold up uh, the new coalition government. Uh, right now, it does seem like the uh, jurisdiction over to West Bank and how settlements, quote-unquote, are going to be handled is the latest issue. I know there was an effort to get this done by tonight or by candlelighting in order to go to a vote in the Knesset on Sunday. Do you have any... Inside word about the likelihood of this coalition actually forming
2: well listen i'm uh, I'm in the liquid party um, and I think everybody's pretty much accepted um that this coalition is forming i don 't see that there's any major issues that is going that is going to throw this down in the court at least uh, my colleagues, my friends, everybody's kind of accepted that we're we 're going into opposition um, there 's a kind of a general feeling that um, we don 't know how long this coalition will last because. The people in it are, ideologically have really got nothing much in common, except for the fact that they want to get rid of uh, Bibi Netanyahu. Right. So we don't know how much it hold up. But they've, they've got also mechanisms of mutual vetoes. So we could see a coalition that kind of holds up but doesn't really do much or doesn't, certainly doesn't touch any of the kind of controversial issues and focuses on economic development, passing the budget, health. You know, maybe they'll focus on the non-contentious issues and will forget about all the other kind of politically uh, sensitive issues. That might happen, um, but really it's anybody's game because we're really in unprecedented territory here. Never has there been a, such a, an extremely diverse coalition and never has a person with seven seats Uh, been the prime minister of the state of israel seven out of 120 seats you know in america people just don't understand what's going on many countries around the world are like what type of a system do you have that this can happen (laughs) but we have a very complicated system we have a really it's a puzzle you know i'll never forget donald trump saying i don't understand it did you win or did you lose (laughs) it's not it's a completely different ball game here
0: (laughs) flora hasana whom is deputy mayor of jerusalem you know there are those who say flora that you know there are a lot of political scientists who would say you can get more done as a member of the opposition than in a member of the ruling government. I'm sure you've thought of that.
2: Well, I've gotta say, I used to be in the opposition of the Jerusalem City Council and then I was also I was in both in coalition and opposition. It's very, very different. On the one hand you don't have that much influence, on the other hand, if there's if there's topics you want to fight um, you have the freedom to fight when you're in the opposition, you have no freedom to fight when you don't agree with something when you're in the coalition. So it's kind of, it, it's a very different experience. Um, it, it's really working in a very different way. It doesn't mean you can't get anything done you can put things on the agenda that sometimes you can't do in the coalition by just, you know, talking about them and, and opposing things. And so I really don't know what's going to be. But in Jerusalem City Council, we have a much more, in local government in Israel, we have a much more stable system. where we have five years. And five years is five years. You can't, you know, Take it down. You can't just ban the government, local government, and so you know I'm in a relatively stable position of being able to really work hard for the city of Jerusalem, which ultimately represents 11 percent of the population of the state of Israel. We are the largest city uh, of the country by far, and we represent 11 percent of the population of yeah,
0: the country. Yeah, not only that, but people would say you represent 100 percent of the Jews on this planet. Frankly. By by the by the exactly, work, yeah, exactly. by the by the work you're doing, and with that in mind, with that in mind, don't get upset at me for saying this. But as Bougie Herzog moves on to be president, and your name is being bandied about to take over the Jewish Agency, people like myself, who have seen the work you do in Jerusalem and have seen what you've done with Dubai's government and so many other things, and the, and the economic councils, etc., are are somewhat a uh, 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 hesitant. To let you move on to the Jewish Agency because of how effective you've been in this position. What are your thoughts about that?
2: Well, first of all, it's a it's a long uh, it's a long race, um, and uh, I, I you know I think that there's a lot of other worthy candidates, and certainly um, you know I'm very very proud to have my name. Uh, being thrown around, and to be in the ring. Uh, We we don't know what's going to happen, and uh, it would be be my privilege to serve not just my city, my country, but the entire uh, Jewish people. Um, I I come from the diaspora, as you know. I made Aliyah 20 years ago, so I have an insight on what it is to be a diaspora Jew. I have an insight on what it is to be an immigrant, and I would love to serve the the, the Jewish people in that way. Um, And believe me, there's ways to serve the city and the country and your people from whatever position you're in. It's a question of energy, conviction, and vision, and uh, I'm here for my people, um, and I will always, and I will always be here to serve my people. That's what I've dedicated my life to up until now.
0: I'll also say that, uh, you know, as a youth, and you probably remember this from your days following the news from Israel, from uh, from the diaspora. Uh, many of us were always skeptical about the role of the Jewish Agency. I think now, especially. Because of how dependent diaspora jury is on Israel, which is unprecedented, frankly, uh, for it to be at the level that it's at, I think the Jewish agency has the potential to have a tremendous impact on world jury. If you you were to get to that position, I understand it's a hypothetical and it's a long road, but are there a couple of issues that you would love to see the Jewish agency undertake?
2: Absolutely. Um, For me, there's three main issues which are currently uh, on the agenda, I think, in the Jewish world. The first is how do you combat anti-Semitism? I think that's uh, unprecedented the way that Uh, Jews have been attacked all around the world, um, and especially in cities in America that people would never have imagined. And to that end, I'm organizing, I'm currently organizing a solidarity mission to the United States. It's always the, the American Jews who come here on solidarity missions. And I think, you know, you don't forget Jerusalem. It's time Jews does not forget you. So that's the first thing that I'm doing, and we have to figure out what tools and what innovation we can bring to our communities abroad to defend themselves better and to be able to be more resilient when it comes to these attacks. Uh, the second thing I believe is absorption. I think the Jewish Agency needs to get back to uh, to its original task of absorbing Jews. I think there's going to be a lot of aliyah coming uh, because of the circumstances, because of Corona in general, because of many things happening around the world, and I think we need to do a better job in absorbing successfully uh, all the Jews uh, around the world and I think these are, are issues that I think the diaspora Israel relationship also has to be strengthened and taken to a different level so there's so much work to do uh, whether I do it from Jerusalem or from the Jewish agency I will it's really my privilege um, uh, to, to live a life of meaning uh, for, for my people and, and uh, you know that's what makes me get up in the morning and it makes me tick <laughs>
0: Flora, you are you're such a pal- powerhouse it's unbelievable i mean solidarity mission to the usa my god what a great i can't believe i didn't think of it i cannot believe i didn't think of it is. what a great kind, no, can i come and see you
2: i might be there in two weeks i want to come and see you of course
0: you're going to come see us and we're going to discuss this whole thing on the air and and i'll and i'll tell you the 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 fact that we in all seriousness and i know that there are a lot of people that that you might think of uh, that I that I would be alluding to that you have to work with I get it, but there are many of us who feel there's been a a uh, irresponsibility amongst American Jewish leadership in the wake of all these anti-Semitic episodes. We thought there'd be a greater response from the establishment in this country to what is happening. We thought that our leaders would be calling on our government officials, especially the Jewish ones, especially the ones who quote-unquote love Israel, who love the Jewish people, to be a lot stronger on this issue and make their voices heard. And that hasn't happened. And now that you have to come from Israel... With a solidarity mission, I'm sure you'll be visiting Washington, or certainly public officials and government officials that serve there, and obviously you'll be you'll be meeting with leaders here. The fact that this even has to happen is such a statement, but it's a brilliant idea. We welcome it, and I cannot wait to uh, to greet you here on this side of the uh, on this side of the ocean because it's just it's such a wonderful concept, and we thank you for it. And yes, we are in a in a Absolutely. in a very very challenging situation right now, and I can only imagine. It's an-
2: I can't judge new Jewish leadership because I don't live there, and I don't know what it is that they're going through. but all I know is that we know that our brethren abroad does not forget us, and we it's our responsibility as the state of Israel to strengthen our diaspora communities. We are all one, and that's the bottom line.
0: Yeah, like I said, you represent a hundred percent of the Jews of the world in the position that you have. Whether you get to the Jewish agency or not, even in your role in jerusalem you're doing it and by the way, I would imagine you, you I would imagine you work very closely with our friends at nefesh Ben i would I would assume you 're one of their biggest fans
2: <laughs> yes we 're we're, we're mutual we have a mutual fan base
0: <laughs> yeah I can imagine um,
2: yes they're good. my my good friends and I help them in everything that I can, and they're great part of this story of absorption and of course we'll continue to work with them very closely here in Jerusalem.
0: All right so please God by the end of June you'll you'll be here visiting us right?
2: Please God I will let you know ahead of time.
0: Amazing. Uh, God bless you and and send our best Thank to the, you, the, please send our best to the holy city I think you hear it in my voice how I represent thousands and thousands of Jews in the diaspora who who can't tolerate this physical separation anymore. So our best to the holy city of Jerusalem.
2: Thank you so much. And Shabbat Shalom to all of you.
0: Shabbat Shalom is right. Flor Hassan Nahum is deputy mayor of Jerusalem, and she's amazing. She's amazing. Can't believe it. How did I not think of this? Solidarity mission from Israel to the U.S. Yeah, we can't depend on anybody here anymore. We need people from Israel to come. We need people from Israel to come. Amazing. Just amazing. That was my conversation with Flor Hassan Nahum. Yassi Baumel, a recent guest of ours on JM in the AM. We discussed Mekor Chaim and some of the other things happening in Israel. Yassi Baumel next on JM Rewind at the Nahum Segal Network. Yassi Baumel is with us live via telephone. Yassi, ironically, was one of the last guests we had in our studio uh, back in March of 2020. And uh, hopefully the next time he joins us, it will be back here in our studio in New York City. Meanwhile, he's with us live via telephone on a Tuesday morning broadcast. Yassi Baumel is Director of Development at Yeshiva Makar Chaim and the Makar Chaim Institutions in uh, Israel. He's visiting the United States on this Tuesday and he's with us at JM and the AM. Yassi Baumel, Boker Tov to you, sir.
4: Boker it's oh, so, it's, it's so good to be back on your program, but I really miss your little studio in the Lower East Side and getting to Davin the Shul there and everything. It's really... Uh... Looking forward. Next time we'll come to visit.
0: Well, remember, Yossi, with the way Manhattan is, you can't call this a little studio from Manhattan. This is this is something that would probably get thousands and thousands of dollars a month. So it's <laughs> right. It's actually <laughs> from Manhattan. We're at we're at a premium in terms of the space that we have. But I do appreciate that we do a nice, quaint, Nahum single network headquarters here, uh, which we will be uh, Hashem, re reopen for everybody. Very very shortly um you know i saw your uh, one of your old friends speaking of this neighborhood i saw one of your old friends uh Yossi rosenbaum this past shabbat oh wow at the, Ruben, the past. at the rubenstein bar mitzvah and of course everyone's topic right now from the old days is the uh, beloved mayor weingarten you know what he meant to us but people may not realize that you and he go way way back
4: Yes, we were briefly in yeshiva together, in Yeshiva Eim right Right. Uh, and uh, I, I, I he came to, after we went on Aliyah in 1977, he came and stayed Shabbat with us. We lived in Yushalayim. And then we would share him with somebody else uh, every once in a while in Efrat because my next-door neighbor uh, went was his madrich in Ezra uh, when he was living here in Israel, and a close, close friend, Menachem Honeg. Oh, that's
0: a, so funny. Wow. Ne- yes, yeah,
4: so we were next door neighbors, and and, and Mayor would come to him for Shabbos, to me Shabbos, and we would sort of share him uh, occasionally. Uh, it's very sad. It's been a very sad year. It started off with me being one of the 10 people, 20 people who buried Noach Deer in Israel, uh, and to come after a year and a half to arrive in the United States to go to Mayor's Leviathan was really, really
0: uh, shocked. And, and I'm glad you mentioned Noah, because uh, he and Mayor were very, very close. And um, and the 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 losses that we've had over these last 16 months, uh, community wide, obviously very significant because the numbers have been insane, as we know. Uh, but as you just pointed out, some of the real darling people of our community, Mayor Noach and many others, left us in the last 16 months. And as we as we look forward to reopening life, so to speak, and truly getting back to normal, uh, we have a lot to remember and a lot of people to remember. Uh, from this entire ordeal, obviously, Mayor was not related to the whole COVID episode, but you get what I'm saying. Um,
4: By the way, I just wanted to tell you with Leor having Leor Gottlieb on yeah. every day now. Sure. Uh, so about two three years ago, he was on uh, he was in sabbatical in Cleveland, and I, me, and Rav Dov were guests at his table. And then a few weeks later, I was on the plane with his wife when our plane was diverted to Athens in that famous El Al flight that ah. went, didn't make it to Israel for Shabbat. Right. And I volunteered to be Sarah Gottlieb's uncle's uh, roommate uh, in the hotel in uh, Athens. So it's, <laughs> it's such a small world. I had no idea that he was connected to
0: Mayor. Now, now, just, and it's one of the things we keep saying about Mayor, and you can appreciate this. Uh, imagine, you know, people think of Mayer, you know, in the world of travel, as a radio personality doing what he did here, etc. For seventeen and a half years, twice a week, he learned with Lior Gottlieb. Uh, Yussi, you you could attest to the quality and level of a Torah scholar if they're spending that much time with someone like Doctor Lior Gottlieb on a regular basis.
4: Yeah, it's it's really it's really unbelievable.
0: And he well, never. And, and, and I'll tell you one other thing: we should we should remember. Uh, those of us who appreciate Torah scholarship and really any academia and scholarship, Mayer never stopped learning. You know, people think that you know he just knew it on his fingertips or knew it because he, you know, he paid attention in high school. You know, like everyone, everyone, you know, many people thought that. What they didn't realize was that he was honing his skills and discovering new stuff every single day. And of course, we had the privilege of him sharing it with us. So there's something to be said about that. As you know, continu- continuing education is a great concept, but. Uh, uh, it's something that's recommended not only when it comes to a secular academia. It's something continuing education is, is 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 important in the Torah world as well um, for people. Yes, to, may,
4: maybe some of our politicians should be studying a little more Torah these days. Maybe it will help out a bit. <laughs> you know, you, you
0: you've always had an interesting perspective when it comes to Israeli politics. I've always felt that yours was a, a little bit different than. Than, uh, than than the neighbors of yours from the same background, a little bit different. You, I, I think you know some of the things we've discussed over the years that you know we, where you've you've uh, expressed a somewhat uh, different point of view. I wonder what you're thinking of this new government that looks like it's about to be uh, official.
4: Yeah. Well, uh, look, I didn't vote for any of the parties forming this government. Uh, I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy about Israel losing uh, the skills of a statesman like uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. The thing that gets me angriest, really, uh, is the fact that this is literally a push. In other words, that the state attorney general's office, with trumped-up charges, which seem to be getting more ridiculous by the day as, as the court case proceeds in the courts, even today, with some ridiculous things they they're they oust they're ousting a prime minister, sitting prime minister in Israel. And, you know, that may sound familiar to some people in the United States. Uh, I don't know. I don't I learned a long time ago, not a long time ago, but the last year I learned that I don't know what's what's fake news and what's not fake news. I don't know what to believe anymore in this world. But uh one thing I do know is that it, it's it's very sad that to force out a Prime Minister like Netanyahu uh with these means. That being said, I I'm, I'm not in favor of this government, but, you know, let's give them a chance. I, you know, right. uh, if there's anybody uh, in Israeli politics who can be a prime minister, maybe not as good as Netanyahu, but can, has, has the skills and uh, and the, uh, the ability to be a prime minister, I think it's not Tali Bennett. He's not perfect. He's got a lot of things. I, there's some things I don't agree with. There's some qualities, uh, character qualities I may not like. But the fact is that he is a very capable young man and they're trying to do something, I I wouldn't, uh, you know, yell and holler as much as some of the people I voted for are yelling and howling about it. And I would give them, you know, cut them some slack and see what happens. You know, um, I was discussing this in Shul yesterday morning with uh, somebody, uh, and uh, he said, well, if this government gets up, there's going to be a culture war. So I said, it's, it's very funny, you know, some people, when it comes to protecting the Jews, from their enemies who want to kill them uh, from arab enemies they say that the best way to go is to say to and to sit and learn torah and not to not to be a hero and fight wars when it comes to protecting the jews against jewish politicians all of a sudden one is allowed to go out to war and to fight you know let's just all take a step breath and sit back I am not worried about the land of Israel. God's looking out for us all the time, and God works in mysterious ways. I'll give you an example that I think I've already spoken about on your program. Israel has peace agreements with Arab countries today, not because of President Trump, but because of President Obama, because they feared his policies— Favoring Iran, they came running to us, and we and we have now allies in the in, in our area. So God works in, in Kabbalah. There's Netzach, which is straight lines. Hod is on the rebound. God knows how to take care of the land of Israel. And uh, I think people have to just take a, a deep breath and you know fight for their ideas, but not fight their fellow Jews.
0: As you, as usual, the voice of reason. What scares me, frankly, is some of the rhetoric because we don't need some of the. I don't want to use the word hatred, I think it's overused sometimes, but some of the real, the deep uh, a negative vitriol that's being expressed now against Bennett specifically, but others, you know, in his party, You know, it's one of the things we don't need, and those people are not following your advice to take a deep breath and, and you know, and, and leaving things in the hands of God and, you know, doing what we need to do uh, at the same time, and that scares me a bit.
4: Yeah, I'm worried about it. There is pretty bad rhetoric on, on, on both sides here, and uh, and it's, first of all... It's it's wrong from a Jewish point of view, moral point of view. There's a limit to what one could say about about their uh, political opponents. But in addition, it's not helpful. Maybe down the road, there will be once again cooperation between different parties. And you don't want to burn the, your bridges before
0: you cross them. Yeah, understood. Jesse Baumel's with us, director of development, of course, from Akar Chaim in Israel. I mean. It's funny, some and, and you may have met, because you've been on, you've been on the air with us uh, at, at one point, if not more, during the last 15 months. Uh, there are people that have indicated that when it comes to expansion, when it comes to construction, uh, especially in Israel, COVID actually was a help because uh, it, because of a variety of reasons, certain projects were able to be sped up. Uh, what's happening at Makar Chaim? Uh, and, w- and were these 15 months, uh, outside of all the restrictions, et cetera, at all beneficial to them?
4: Well, uh, um, as far as our area goes, the road, uh, Betal Sumutridge was briefly a minister of transport, and he got he he jump-started uh, widening the road into a highway from Jerusalem to Hebron, and that's moving ahead tremendously fast, and it's just you, know, you can't recognize the area from one day to the next. There's a lot of traffic jams, but there's a lot of development going on. As far okay. as Bekhar goes, the story is not as great. Um... Uh, we uh, were here in the United States uh, up until uh, March 2nd. Uh, you may remember that yeah. I was here with Rav Dov Zinger. We sure. were. Uh,
0: Both in our studio. Uh,
4: yeah, and, uh, and we, uh, we were going back to, to, to Israel for one of those Israeli elections. I forget already which was held <laughs> on March 2nd.
2: Right.
4: And uh, Rav Dov Zinger tells me, you know, I don't feel so good. And my wife told me maybe I should stay in the States a couple more days. Because uh, if I come back to Israel, I'll, be, I'll be hit the ground running and I'll have to work so hard. Or maybe I should just take a break and stay in the States a couple more days. I told, I told them, Rav Zinger, listen to me. All the years that I'm coming to America to help out institutions in Israel, every time I come, I'm afraid that for some reason or other, volcanic ash in Iceland or 9-11 or whatever it may be, I'm afraid that I won't be able to get back. We have tickets for tomorrow. There's this new disease going around. I don't know what's going on. We're going home. And we went home, and he was one of the first uh, COVID-19 uh, um, um, uh, patients in Israel. It was very widely publicized. He was in the hospital. and
0: One he, of the last he, places you visited was New Rochelle.
4: That's correct. We both hugged Rabbi Fink there. Uh, and I spent the rest of the time with uh, Rob in the car together with him. I didn't get it. Nothing happened to me, and he, he got COVID. Uh, thank God he's fine, and he he did teach quite a bit from the hospital room. There are a lot of videos out there about it. Uh, but we came back from his, as he likes to say, we came back from the United our trip to the United States with lots of promises uh, that never came to fruition because we had a wonderful, wonderful trip. So many people were interested in our work. Rov Dov has been doing a lot of teacher training, and now during COVID, one uh, good, uh, uh, positive aspect is that we've been doing intensive teacher training. Uh, in Fuchs, Mizrahi, in Cleveland, uh, we di- we're doing stuff uh, in-, in Australia. We're doing stuff in-, in Manchester. We've been we've been really reaching out a lot, quite a bit during these last fifteen months, and hopefully next year we'll be having a full bl- a full uh, program like we have in Israel, which is called Lifnay Lifnim, It's the ult- it's an alternate uh, BA or MA in education uh, where people are taught emotional intelligence and all kinds of. Um, of Hasidic uh, ideas that help in education.
0: There's no one and to we'll blame be- for all this. I mean, the whole world was on pause for 15 months, so you know. Yeah, gotta- yeah, I-
4: yeah. Now, as far as the construction goes, it, we basically we were uh, we we finished we finished one dormitory building. We we're, our high school building is almost complete already. Uh, And then sort of we were afraid to sign new contracts because all the money that we thought we would be getting from our previous trip to the States, we just wasn't coming in. Everybody said, I'm coming next week for my grandson's wrist," or I'm coming for my wedding, and I'll I'll come visit, and I'll come help. And all those people never made it to this day. They didn't make it back to Israel. Uh, And so we we really were in a bind. We didn't know what to do. Uh, We had to go ahead because we have to move out. And uh, we held, just recently, a uh, charity fundraiser in Israel. We raised five million shekels, which was enough. It's not enough to to complete the job, but it's enough to convince us to sign on the contracts for the other two buildings we need to build uh, before we move next summer. So those two new buildings, another dormitory and the Beit Bidrash building, are now under construction already, and we'll be moving um, a year from now. And that's, uh, besides all our educational activities, this Friday, for example, we have uh, every single Rosh Chodesh. We go to a different community uh, uh, in Israel, and we bring them music and Torah and, uh, and, and just support. And we'll be going to Lud uh, this Friday morning. Uh, uh, we'll be having our Rosh Chodesh davening, a musical Rosh Chodesh davening, uh, in Lud uh, this Friday to strengthen the Jewish community there.
0: Was that so dorm? Was that dormitory built with a lot of American support?
4: Yeah, absolutely. There were the uh, the dormitory was um, more than two thirds built built with American support. A lot of the infrastructure we did. Uh, thank God we 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 did raise quite a bit of money. We're still about five million shekels short of being able to complete everything. But we we're convinced that we'll be able to raise it one way or another. We hope uh, in the next year or so till we have to uh, actually move and finish
0: paying. Off. And so yes, and yes,ie Bamel, I want to mention that there are other names besides the ones you mentioned that are synonymous with Chaim. one is ruf steinzaltz of blessed memory sino- cool. synonymous with Chaim.
4: yeah that's true and uh, we uh, as part of the campaign we we basically got all, all a lot of his uh, uh, students to join together to build the beit midrash in memory of him
0: which is uh, amazing that's yeah, a, yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. and also we should mention that the three boys as they've been known now in modern jewish history they also uh, have roots in Makora Chaim.
4: Right, right. Actually, um, one of our graduates uh, who uh, works in the education ministry just published on Facebook. I shared it on Facebook. There, I didn't translate it to English yet, but the original story of how a local Gush Etzion think tank were the ones who got together and told the army we had to look for the bodies, and that's where they found them. And it's a really, really... Uh, and it was just by accident they, they located the area in general, and they almost missed the exact spot. And it's it's an unbelievable story.
0: I hope to, to publish it. Yeah, try translate that as soon as you can, <laughs> and, I, and I will, let and let us know about that. It's something I'd yeah. like to share with the audience. So, Makar Chaim, in addition to all its educational initiatives and what it's doing for so many youth in Israel, uh, you know, has a tremendous history already. Uh, in terms of uh, its impact on both Israel and the rest of the world, especially with what you described, uh, the programs that are now going to get restarted uh, here with the United States uh, as well. Plus, the exchange program did continue or had to be stalled? No, because, we did not
4: have it last year, but uh, we're looking forward this year to welcoming 15 to 20 MTA boys once again uh, at McCorkheim. And, and that's a
0: and full compliment, game. right? It's usually around that number, right?
4: Yeah, 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 that's the that's usual number. I mean, I don't, we don't know exactly how many are coming in right. the end, but that's
0: what we're aiming for. Uh. Well, uh, like I said, there are a lot of signs uh, so far during this uh, Tuesday morning jam in the am that life is getting uh, back to the way we remember it, and I think this conversation indicates that. Um, with Makar Chaim and with uh, what your intentions are regarding uh, uh, the work uh, that will be done um, academically uh, here in the United States and uh, teacher training, etc., Uh, Plus, hopefully, people starting to go back to Israel, visiting you, and uh, pledging support uh, to the projects and programs that you are uh, undertaking. Hopefully, all of this will start to accelerate. That's one thing I'm hoping for after this 15-month pause, that things not only restart, but people will be anxious to get things going, and and it'll just accelerate all the things that people want to accomplish.
4: Do you have any plans on coming to Israel soon?
0: I mean, we we had to unfortunately postpone the June trip because of all the regulations, but right now I'm looking to fly on Tishabov, which I think would be the third time I've actually flown on Tishabov to Israel. Um, Will it happen? I don't know. Do you know? Do you know if this new government is going to tell everybody the skies are open for the month of July? What indications do you have? Uh, It seems
4: to me that things will be opening
0: up in a couple of weeks. Well, if that's the case, then I hope, If, if it's open July 1st, then I think I will try to take a quick trip the first week in July. If it's a little later than that, then our intention is to fly and broadcast from Israel during the week of Tisha B'av, meaning you know during the uh, a week before Nachamu. So Bezrat Hashem. I mean, you know what they say, Yossi. If if you're not actually moving to Israel or 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 regularly going to Israel, at least have a plan. Because if you have a plan, there's a good chance it'll actually happen. <laughs> if there's no plan, you ain't you ain't ever gonna go. I always like to say. In the old days, I like to say that uh, I used to plan one trip to Israel a month. This way, I knew I'd go at least once a year. <laughs> you know, so that's the plan. Right now, we haven't been there since January of 2020. It is um, there are so many consequences. You know, you're living in Israel, so I, I I I know this better than you do. There are so many consequences for our diaspora community that we have been shut out like this physically. So many people wonder about the value of trips, the value of of both adults and kids going to Israel, either on a semi-regular basis or even for one trip of a lifetime. Such life-changing experiences, even for people like me who, thank God, have had the pleasure and privilege of doing so on a regular basis. It is such a terrible feeling, this horrible disconnect. And that's why I'm hoping that what you just said is true, that when the month of July rolls around, Israel says, okay, everybody, it's time to start connecting again, uh, both both emotionally and physically. Let's see what happens.
4: Really looking forward to that, and, and I'd be happy to show people around. Uh, we're building our campus on a very, very historic place, Derech Avot, the All original right. road from Hebron to Yushalayim. And my number is 917 929 8525. I can be reached both in Israel and in the United States on so that number, 917 929 8525. Uh, and i'd love to be able to hook up again with all my friends from the united states who're coming to visit in israel
0: really looking forward and, to and that. i truly believe even though often you know they're being asked to support or i should say especially because they're being asked to support i truly believe everybody wants to hook up again with you and wants to you know support great causes and uh, and and discover all the things you said about how much progress is being made in israel so yeah. Let's, hope, let's hope. Let's hope. Let's okay. hope. Let's hope for an effective. Looking
4: forward le- to seeing you in Israel L- um, in Nahum.
0: Let's hope for an effective government of the state of Israel that cares about the future of the Jewish people. And let- That's the main thing. And let us That's hope for main. continued success for all the wonderful projects, including yours. But Yossi Baumel, director of development at Makar Chaim. if you've never been there, folks, I'm telling you right now, reserve half a day on your next trip to Israel. It will be uh, an unforgettable experience. Yassi Bezrat Hashem will reunite in Israel. Okay, nice talking to you. Man. Have a great day. You as well. Yossi Balmo, everybody. I knew he'd be level-headed about this uh, this coalition government. I knew it. I knew he wouldn't yell and scream about it the way I wanted him to. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. I think I'm beyond. Five years ago, I'd be yelling and screaming. Now I think uh, I have a totally new perspective. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's unbelievable what getting uh, a little older does to you. Pretty unbelievable. Anyway, my thanks to Yossi Baumol here at JM the M. That was my conversation with Yassi Baumol. Thanks so much for tuning in. Another edition of JM Rewind, same time next week. And plenty more music and programming coming up next, right here on NSN, the Malcolm Single Network.